Welcome one, welcome all. The latest edition of Walk with the Fight Club. I am your party host, Steven Mielhausen. Come back What a week we had last week, which is why I did not do a lot more podcasts. It got more hectic than I even anticipated. Great weekend in combat sports. Slow week this week. Showtime's got a card on Saturday night. Chris Colbert in the main event. I'm looking forward to that. That should be a ton of fun. But what a weekend we had. Javante Davis showing out. In front of over 16,000 people at the State Farms Arena in Atlanta. Stopping Mario Barrios in the 11th round to win a secondary junior welterweight title. So if Showtime, Mayweather Promotions, led by Floyd Mayweather and Leonard Ellerby, they're going to tell you, well, he's a three-division world champion. He's really not. He won a secondary title again, yet again. Um, I get why they say it. It sounds good. It sounds sexy, but if we're being realistic and we're being honest, it's just more of spin, more of narrative, because there's enough, you'll get enough people that will buy it and believe it. That's not to take nothing away from Trevante Davis. I'm not going to say that. He's the most ferocious puncher. He's one of the top five most ferocious punchers in the sport. There's no, there's no doubt about that. In between 130 and 140, he's number one in my eyes. But where I have a problem with Javante Davis is the fact of what – yes, he went up two weight classes. That narrative isn't wrong. But if we're going to sit and be honest and we're going to be true to ourselves, he faced a B-level fighter at 140. Why not Regis Progray? You want to face the best. And this has always been my problem with Javante Davis. For his, we know he's good. We know that. We just don't know if he's great. And facing blowing up featherweights like Leo Santa Cruz, facing shot fighters like Uriokis Gamboa, and facing B-level fighters like Mario Barrios. Yeah, Barrios fought, he fought good. But that's also the fact that, as we've seen in the ring, Javante Davis is very small for 140. But I will give Davis this. He's a bulldog. He ate some good shots. And I'm not saying Barrios is a world-class puncher. I'm not saying he's at the level of Josh Taylor, Jose Ramirez, Regis Progre. I'm not saying that. Because I think those guys hit a lot harder than Mario Barrios. But it's time. I wrote a piece for the zone on who should Javante Davis, and, and the key word is should. I said Ryan Garcia. I said Regis Progre. Let's see. I don't see that happening, but we shall see. We shall see. But that's how you're going to know he's great. You want to People want to put him on pound for pound list. I don't know how good he is. I don't know. I really don't know. He could be as good as the toilet paper I wet my butt with. He could be as good as Charmin. Maybe. I don't know. But that, to me, is the million-dollar question. If Floyd Mayweather's like, well, I'm not putting him with, well, I'm not going to build up another promotion. It's not building up another promotion. It's building up the sport of boxing. 
And if you look at the trajectory of Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather was put he in the first ten years of his career, Floyd Mayweather faced the best. We can't doubt that. The last ten, it's pretty you can chuckle. Facing guys out of their prime, facing guys that weren't even remotely close to even facing a lot of B-level fighters, if we're going to be honest, and out of their prime. That's just, and facing guys way too early, i.e. Canelo Alvarez. Facing a guy that never had a really a big significant fight. And that was good cherry picking. I'll give Floyd credit for that. But how do we know how good he is? I don't know how good Javante Davis is. There's going to become a time where fans are going to see through, okay, let's let's stop facing bums. Let's start facing A-level competition. There's no reason. Even the winner of Javier Fortuna and Jojo Diaz, that's a good fight. That we're going to know them. People will go say, well, Jose Pedraza, well, well, okay, that really still didn't do anything. It didn't prove a whole lot of anything. But it's time. It's time for the games to stop. The fact he hadn't fought for eight months, I think, hurts him as well. I looked at our numbers very well. We, he's a draw. He's an attraction. But it's going to become a point where the fans are going to get tired of it and the fans are going to stop watching. Now, I'm very intrigued to see what these pay-per-view numbers are going to be. The interest really wasn't, it was like 500,000 Google searches. It was like number three for the day. For a low sport, for a, how much talk about day, that's okay. Number three is good. You know, Lomachenko, I think it was like number seven. We'll get to Lomachenko in a minute. They had 200,000. You know, I, I wouldn't mind that fight. It's you got to make big fights. You know, you're not helping build another promotion. You're helping build the sport, and that's where the problem lies with me with comments made by Floyd Mayweather. If we're being honest, if we're under the honesty, that's exactly what that is. Um, but it's time. I, I mean, the games have to stop. There's no one. PBC has no one at 130, 135, or 140. Nobody. You can't keep putting them in with B and C, C plus fighters and blowing up featherweights. That's got to stop. And I think looking at his numbers, don't get me wrong. The fans in Atlanta showed out, and I give them credit. He's a, he's a ticket seller. But as I said to people over the weekend, so was Arturo Gatti. And we know how, and that's not a knock on Arturo Gatti, but you could be a ticket seller. But it's going to become a point where fans see through the bullshit. Through the bullshit. And, but let's hope. Let's hope, and this is where the fighters, the manager, the promoter, and the manager work for the fighter, not the other way around. And that's what these fighters need to learn, and it's what they need to understand. And they still don't, which I don't, I really don't get. 
Let's get to Lomachenko really quickly, and then we'll get into who's going to be on the podcast today, because we got a very good guest. Looking forward to you guys listening to this one, because this was a ton of fun. But great win for Lomachenko. Vasily Lomachenko returned after his loss to Tiafimo Lopez in October. Not fond of, like, these guys going eight months between fights. I, I just don't – I hate that. I don't get it. Out of sight, out of mind, we're not talking about here. And that's a whole other podcast. Great win for Lomachenko over Masayoshi Nakatani. I don't even remember when that fight got stopped. My ninth round, I think it was. My mind is all over the place. But a great win for Lomachenko. He looked fantastic. He looked like the Lomachenko of old. I like the fact he came out ultra aggressive. He just came out firing. And that's why he knew he needed to make a statement. He knew how much Tiafimo Lopez struggled with Nakatani. Now we uh, – Lomachenko wanted to make a statement. He did make one. Tiafimo Lopez's father was in attendance saying that ESPN, well, I'll get my son to rematch him. I think that's a fight that will happen. I think both guys will make a ton of money. As long as Tiafimo Lopez – first, Tiafimo Lopez has to get healthy. When I asked Triller's Ryan Cavanaugh last week, he said he still wasn't doing very good. And August 14th looked very, very unlikely. I would even be shocked if he fought September 11th. I keep telling him in what Cavanaugh told me, and, I'll, and if you guys have – and Ryan Cavanaugh, that is on – it's in the podcast. It's in the, it's in the archives, guys. So make sure you guys take that out. Make sure you guys take a listen as – Ryan Cavanaugh was just fantastic. We talked a little bit. Of, we talked Tifimo Lopez, Evander Holyfield. The update on Mike Tyson, which I'm still getting no credit for, but who am I to? God forbid we get a little credit around here. Or I get a little bit of credit on here. I guess I need to buy followers on Twitter or something of that nonsense. But, but that's where things stand at that point. I think that fight does happen. Bob Irum says he was talking. There were people from the Middle East at the show. He said he was going to be talking with them to try to make that for around February. I think that fight happens after if Tifimo Lopez gets by George Cambosis. Whenever that fight happens, Tifimo does want to bounce right back. So we'll see what happens with that. Also, quick UFC Cyril gain. Great win over Alexander Volkov. He is so diverse. He does it all. He can strike. He can take you to the ground. He's a lot like Stipe Miocic. Just a younger version of Stipe Miocic. And, and that comes along with now Cyril Gain goes to 9-0. The UFC announces on Monday night, reported by ESPN.com, that Cyril Gain, Derek Lewis, the interim heavyweight title, UFC 265, August 7th at the Toyota Center in Houston. What a miscarriage of justice to Francis Nakanu. What the hell did he do to deserve that horrible treatment? That's pretty shitty. Nakanu was looking for an interim title fight while they were trying. Well, it took a year to make Miocic Cormier A3. Nakanu went and fought, I think, twice. Man, that's that's doing Naganu dirty. 
I like Cyril Kane. Don't get me wrong. I like Derek Lewis, but I think that uh, that's some shady nonsense by uh, the UFC. I think, and good for Naganu's team at CAA for reacting because that's a load of nonsense from the UFC and Dana White. I'm sorry. That's not cool. Not a fan of that one. Hopefully they can. I know Nagano just, Nagano, and this is what I know about this situation. He turned down August 7th. He's been all over the place, doing a bunch of business and PR stuff. He was he spent the whole month in his native Cameroon. He went to Dubai. He went to Abu Dhabi. They asked him to fight in September. He was like, cool. He's like, I, he's like I'm back in the States. I'm going to take a little time. I'm going to get back in the gym and get to work. And that's what he did. He was in the gym yesterday. He had a picture with uh, flyweight champ Brandon Marino. Just don't. Just not a very. When you got nine of your 12 champions not booked in fights, something's wrong. And the fact you got Amanda Nunes, you could have just had her headline that card against Juliana Pena. You got a woman you proclaim is the greatest woman's fighter of all time. Put her in a headlining position. Why do you need two title fights? Such a shame. Enough of my ranting. (laughs) You guys aren't listening to hear me. You're listening to hear from our guest today, the great Titus O'Neil. It's Titus O'Neil for the second year in a row is a finalist for the Muhammad Ali Sports Humanitarian Award, which will be presented by ESPN on July 12th out in New York. And then the ceremony you could see live on ABC July 24th at 3 p.m. Eastern. We talked about a lot. Titus O'Neil didn't really hold nothing back. We talked about what it would mean to win the award. Why it means so much to him to even be nominated. I, I thought that was very revealing. We talk about his Tampa Bay Lightning. Stanley Cup final Tampa Bay Lightning. His work, his working relationship with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 37. Very intriguing stuff there. Here he is. And don't forget, rate, review, download, subscribe to the podcast. It's simple. Just type walkway to Fight Club. You guys know the drill. That's all I got to do. Right, re- five stars. Review it. Say it. this podcast is awesome. And then just hit that old subscribe button when you go on, whether it's Apple, Apple, Pod, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeart, all your favorite podcasting platforms. Here we go. The former tag team champion, the global ambassador for the WWE, <laughs> the man, Titus O'Neil. Coming off a brilliant Monday Night Raw last night, Stephen Milhausen here from DAZN. And I loved Monday Night Raw last night because we I'm a big fan of professional wrestling, and, man, it was a heck of a Raw last night. I know this guy watched it right here. He is a finalist for the Muhammad Ali Sports Humanitarian Award. The presentation will be taking place from the rooftop at Pier 17 in New York City on July, tw- July 17th, July 12th. The special is July 24th at 2 Eastern on ABC. He's one of four. He's going to smash Anthony Rizzo. 
he is the one and only Titus O'Neill. And Titus, I hate the Cubs, so I am rooting for you 150%, my friend. Yeah, I uh, I appreciate the, the vote of confidence. I, I think that uh, every last one of us have, have done some extraordinary work. And uh, obviously, uh, this is the second year in a row that I've been named a finalist. Not many people can say that. And uh, that in itself uh, shows that the work that not only those guys are doing, but what I'm doing is consistent. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really much so looking forward to seeing what the outcome is. But at the end of the day, the work is still continued just like it did last year, even though I came up short of, of the uh, of being being the big prize winner. I think we all were big prize winners because our platforms were given an opportunity to be uh, uh, shown in a way in which, you know, sports and entertainment, sometimes I think people take for granted the work that so many athletes and entertainers uh, put in behind closed doors and the significance that they make in their respective communities. And so, uh, like you said, you know, I know you're a Chicago guy, but I'm a, uh, Anthony Rizzo is a Florida guy. So, you know, I'm always rooting for, for Florida guys in, in general, but definitely uh, not rooting for them in this case. No, sir. And if you you see my background, I'm a diehard White Sox fan, Titus O'Neill. Yeah. White Sox, Cowboys. So we're going to root. We're, I'm rooting for you anyway. Even if you weren't rooting, even if I was a Cubs fan, I'm more of a WWE fan than, right. than Major League Baseball. But, you know, just to be associated with something like this, especially the, the esteem that Muhammad Ali brings to the table, what does it just mean to you? Just the fact that you're even nominated, not just once, but now two years in a row. Yeah, uh, well, first and foremost, it means that the people that invested in me long ago when they had nothing to gain in return uh, were doing a good thing. And uh, and, and that, that, that work that they put in to make sure that I could be the first person to graduate from high school, the first person to go to college and graduate from college from my family, first person to own a home, and, and the list goes on and on and now a proud father of two sons uh, and a guy that didn't grow up with a father in the home. To me, uh, you know, when you take that coupled with the fact that Muhammad Ali is literally my favorite athlete of all time, uh, it is not only humbling, but, uh, but also too, it just, it just goes to show like what can happen when people, you know, put themselves aside and, 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 uh, and look further than their own situation and say, let me help somebody. And, uh, you know, I can never repay all the people that helped get me to the point that I am in today. Uh, but obviously, you know, my hats, you know, definitely go off and my gratitude, obviously with WWE and my WWE family for obviously allowing me to utilize my, this platform, this great platform that we have with WWE to continue to change lives and, and essentially do what our, our company motto is, which is to put smiles on faces. And I think not only myself, but other WWE superstars, both female and male, have done a, a really incredible job, even through COVID, of doing such a thing. And so for me to be the one representing our family uh, at the ESPN Humanitarian Awards is a big deal. For me to be able to do it in, in the likeness of my favorite athlete of all time, uh, outside of Michael Jordan, uh, is even, it's just icing on the cake. But you know, hats off to every single person that I get a chance to work with on a day-to-day -day basis, um, both here in my Tampa Bay community, but also too with uh, WWE community uh, relations uh, and uh, outreach. Uh, Mary Ellen and Mac and uh, Beth and and her and that whole team, Shane, they all do a great job of making sure that guys are in position that want to be in position 
to give back. And, uh, and we, I, I always say, especially during non-COVID times and around our big four, nobody does it better than we do when we get it, when it's time to get engaged into a community. What me, did you ever think when you became a pro wrestler that this would be the route you'd be at at this point? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I'm doing the same thing I've done for years. So uh, I, I, I can't say that I would, I would have predicted that I would be a two-time finalist for a ESPN Sports Humanitarian Award, but I can tell you that I, I, I'm not surprised the fact that I've, the work that I've done um, is getting this type of spotlight because I've been doing it for years. I've been doing it since college, high school. So, you know, it's, you know, I always say consistency is the key to breakthrough. And uh, that's what it any and everything that you do in life. And uh, I just feel like that I've been doing this for so long with the right heart, the right mindset, and in a different way. You know, I don't just, uh, I don't believe in transactional um, engagements. I believe in transformational, you know, moments and, and situations where we can put people in a situation to not just get a gift for Christmas, but also get a job, get, get, a, get a high school diploma, get a trade. Uh, get a home, get a car, you know, uh, these underserved families that we get a chance to serve on a consistent basis. Um, they, uh, they're much like I was when I was in a situation come being a product of a, of a sexual assault, you know, to an 11 year old mother having a, you know, a kid at 12. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't sit down and, and tell you, yeah, I mean, I couldn't tell you when I was in college that I'll be a WWE superstar. Now, if you, looked at, you know, uh, some of my teammates and you asked them because of my pool parties, how every time somebody comes dressed up like they're going to the club instead of a pool party, how everybody will start chanting Goldberg, Goldberg, and I'll spear the person <laughs> into, the, into the pool. Uh, and that would be an inclination that I might have some sort of career in WWE. But, uh, you know, again, I, I say this all the time. I'm very, I'm a very grateful man. Uh, very fortunate to be a part of this company, uh, especially when it's not something that I, I set out to do, uh, you know, 12 years ago. And, uh, you know, Chance, you know, one of my best friends is Dave Batista, and he kind of urged me to at least try it, give it a try, and walked in the back door of FCW in 2009. And now here I am uh, after sliding under a ring and falling over with a keg and winning tag team gold and being the first universal um, 24 seven, uh, champion and, and, uh, and having a lot of great moments in WWE. I, I think that, uh, being labeled as a global ambassador is kind of a stamp of approval from every single person in the front office, including, and especially with the best McMahon and Stephanie McMahon. And so, uh, I represent this company. I know like no other, and, uh, I take pride in it. I take pride in it because I realize that I have an opportunity much like every other superstar and every other person that's a part of this company. Uh, to build something and to show people that we're not just a bunch of barbaric men and women running around body slamming people, that we actually are change makers and change agents. And uh, uh, we have a great young group of people in NXT uh, that are chomping at a bit to get their shot at the main roster, but they're also doing great work in the community uh, in Orlando, working with Special Olympics and the Boys and Girls Club and our other partners. And so, you know, uh, to say that I, I, I know that I would be in the position I'm in today, uh, absolutely. Um, I, to how I would be in that position, I don't know. I don't know what that looked like. Uh, all I know is that consistency leads to breakthrough. And 
every once in a while I'll get an accolade or nominated for an accolade. And that's essentially a breakthrough to help elevate the work that we are, we're going to do anyway. I'm also a father of two and, and I want to, and they followed more or less follow me. They're little, you know, they, but they see what I do and they follow my lead and they like what I do. And now with your boys, what do they think of what dad is doing and the, and the accomplishments that he currently has? Uh, they love their dad, you know, and uh, their dad loves them. And uh, uh, I know uh, without a shadow of a doubt that neither one of my kids want to be in the rest of the business, uh, but, <laughs> uh, but they, uh, they, they play sports. You know, my oldest son is a heavily recruited high school athlete right now. He's been going on college visits throughout the summer and, and, um, and my younger son will be in that same position. He's a sophomore now, but he's great upside. And I, you know, our whole thing in our family is just to be our best. You know, um, I've never forced my kids to play sports. I've never forced them to try this or try that. Always emphasize to them, you know, whatever you do, uh, quitting is not an option. You know, if you try a sport and the team sucks and the coach is not that good, like you just finish out the season and then try to look at reevaluate it at the end of the year. And I think the example that I lead, uh, that I live, I live what I talk about. And it's very easy um, as a father sometimes to come short because we 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 look at our kids and we're like, well, you know, you should do it like this. You need to do it like that. And sometimes it's like you got to let them kind of find their own way. You know, they got to fall sometimes. They got to stumble. Uh, but just be there to kind of help them. Don't let them fall to the point where they're going to kill themselves. But yeah. fall to the point where they might get hurt, but they, that's a, a valuable life lesson in, in, in that fall. And so I always encourage every father, you know, you know, uh, whether you're a single dad or married or whatever, that uh, that's the greatest title I'll, I'll ever have in my life. It's not the, you know, for, I would love to be the universal champion. I would love to be the world champion. Uh, but being a father is the greatest title that I'll ever hold. And it's the one that I, I cherish the most. And I think that when fathers, you know, look at it that way, uh, that comes with this, this stronger sense of uh, vulnerability, but also responsibility that, you know what, I want to live, you know, I want to live to be a great man so that my kids can be great men and women. That's what I tried to emphasize. My, my oldest is about to be five and he always goes, Stephen Mulhausen from zone And I'm like, no, Stephen Mulhausen, father of yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. best title I can they hear me do my interviews. And I'm like, no, it's, that's like, maybe 10th mm -hmm. on my list in terms right. of priorities. Yeah. Being a father to you and your brother, that's more important to me than anything else. So we are definitely in agreement there. And how about your Tampa Bay Lightning, sir? Mm, they yeah. put a beating on those Islanders. Beat them like they stole something and try to put it back. I was at the game last night. I saw I that, was getting, yeah. You know what's crazy? I was getting text messages all day from various guys, both, you know, WWE, NFL, like, different people, you know, that are from the New York area talking, you know, and they just love to try to come at me. Oh, of course. And, uh, and, uh, uh, when they got seven, nothing, I, I, I put, I, I put, I, I said, I said, touchdown lightning. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was, and then when it went to eight, nothing, I said, uh, lightning with a two point conversion, you know, uh, I've never seen anything like that in the hockey Either. game ever, especially in the playoffs. Uh, hopefully we can close it out tomorrow night. I'm actually flying to New York uh, oh. tomorrow, and uh, I, I just want to see that that atmosphere in Nassau Coliseum because I know that you know I obviously performed there in WWE and it's getting ready to 
get shut down here soon. And I, I just want to be in the crowd, man, to hopefully see them get beat for the last time in that stadium. Titus, I think it's going to be a ramp tomorrow night. I, I got a feeling. Titus, you there? Uh-oh. Oh. Titus, you just froze real quick here. He's got a beautiful smile. He really did freeze at the perfect time for his smile there. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> be like a portrait picture. I know, right? There, there he is. is. Are we good? You froze with the – me and Mark were just talking. You froze, and you had a beautiful smile. They, those teeth are looking great, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, you were talking about – so you're going – so you're going to go to the game tomorrow night. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I have to go – I have to go to New York anyway for uh, – for uh, to, to uh, pay my respects to a friend of mine on Thursday. So I just – I was flying out of Tampa, so I just – Diverted my flight a little bit and spoke with uh spoke with our people and said, "Hey, I want to make sure I'm at the game and we I'll be at the game." It's good to be in the Titus O'Neill business. Yeah, it is very good to be. I mean, they call me Titus Worldwide for a reason. Titus, you know? and see, you yeah. gotta throw that around once in a while when you're. Do you do you have to do that with like you're in the grocery store? If someone's if it's like eight deep in the in the cash register line. You just yeah. got to go Titus worldwide, and I think everyone's gonna move to get the heck. Well, out it's of a running—it's a running joke. Sometimes, you know, in my circle of friends, you know, they'll uh, like I—I I remember, you know, uh, was the year before last when the uh, Warriors were playing against the Raptors, and it was like the last game that they were playing at the Oracle. Okay. And uh, and I, I I flew out. I, mean, I took me and my sons went out to the game, oh, awesome. and uh, the tickets were—I mean, I. I almost tried to bargain with my sons because the tickets were legitimate. The ones we had, we probably could have sold for like $65,000, $70,000 each. Because oh, they were like right by the bench. Oh, and uh, everybody was like, man, how the heck you get those tickets? How the heck you get those tickets? And I just looked at them and I was like, and then they was like, oh, I know. You were in <laughs> Titus O'Neill. <laughs> it is always good to be in the Titus O'Neill business. Yeah, so, Titus O'Neill. You know, if you have the Lightning win, if the Lightning win the Cup, and yeah. then you, you had the, the Buccaneers win the Super Bowl. Then you had WrestleMania at Raymond James Stadium. Yeah. Florida's like, Tampa Bay's like the king of sports right now. It's Tampa Bay. We call it Tampa I mean, Bay now. We renamed it, you know? I like it. And now, uh, you, you got a patent that now. You got to get that. Say it again. You got I know. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody has at this point. But, you know, people talk about how we won the world. I mean, how we, uh, how we won the world championship in uh in in both hockey and football but our our soccer team the rowdies were also in yes. the championship game that got canceled you know yes, so that was another possibility for a championship and then obviously the rays were in the world series um yes sir so yeah uh and i was fortunate enough to go to two of those games oh. in dallas uh so the first one was the thriller you know that we yeah. ended up oh, winning the, yeah the game awesome. four i think it was and I went out for game six and it was just horrible. You know, they pulled Snell too early in the game and everything went downhill. So, uh, but it was a bucket list thing. And, and uh, hopefully I get a chance to see the Rays play again in the World Series and 
And uh, but obviously being able to sit in Raymond James Stadium uh, with the Buccaneers uh, playing in the home stadium for the first time, and then one month later, or two, a month and a half later, being able to host WrestleMania in my hometown was pretty special too. So uh, it's been a great year for Tampa. It's been a great year for Titus O'Neill up to this point. And it's not. It's just not the halfway point of the year. We're in June, so I can't wait to see what happens next. It's going to be a banner rest of the year. And you talk about real, I want to ask you real quickly, because a lot was made about you hosting WrestleMania with Hulk Hogan, just with everything that had, everything that had went on with Hulk. And how did you guys have a, come? Not, I hate saying a come to Jesus moment, but did you guys have a conversation and be like, and tr- tr- you know, be like, Hey, I may not appreciate what you did. I, but we can work together. What, did you guys have any conversation at all leading up to that event or no? No, I mean, we, we, we had spoke a little bit after I got upset about, you know, yeah. the apology. Um, we, we, we had a private conversation. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, you know, I, like, I'm not one to, to be able to cast judgment on anyone. Um, and, I, and I looked at the opportunity, you know, the opportunity to host WrestleMania in my hometown uh, where I'm, I'm literally loved. I'm the unofficial mayor here in Tampa. Yes, sir. And, uh, and to be able to do it with, with a guy that essentially put WrestleMania on the map, you know, uh, I, I, I looked at it as a business, you know, it, it's a business decision that was made uh, and Vince McMahon wanted it and Vince McMahon runs his company and, and everyone else that is, that, that's associated knows that. Um, but I have a very special relationship with Vince and I don't think that there was ever a moment where he felt like this was something that would put me in an uncomfortable position uh, because it really wasn't, you know, I know who I am. I know what I represent. Um, and, and I know also too, more so now, even after uh, hosting with Hulk, to be honest with you, it was very pleasant to work with him. You know, we, we had some stuff that he allowed me to change up and we worked very well off of each other. Um, and I didn't expect the reaction that he got, um, you know, when he spoke, you, an- but, you uh, answered my next question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't expect the reaction that, that he, uh, that he received. Um, I expected a little bit here and there, but nowhere near where it was. But at the end of the day, like I, I said before, the previous interview with busted open, uh, to Hulk's credit, he took it with stride and we, the show went on and it was a, 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 just an amazing event, two nights, you know, at, at our home stadium here at Raymond James stadium in Tampa, Florida. Um, and it was our first time being in front of live fans in over a year. So uh, when you take all the positives around what was going on, it was a historic card. First time an African-American or two African-American women made it in it. Uh, WrestleMania, first time an African-American champion went in as champion and came out as champion. We had Bad Bunny, who has a huge Latino um, uh, following. Uh, we had uh, Apollo Crews and... Big and Xavier Wood, I mean, I'm sorry, and uh, and uh, Big E going at it for the Intercontinental Championship. So for me, you know, it's, you know, as the host, I'm sitting here, and I'm, I get a chance to like basically, essentially, look like the the, uh, the the ringleader of the most diverse and 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 not only diverse but like in prominent spots that that I feel like this that has ever been done in this company. You know, first Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble winner, women's Royal Rumble winner. So. You know, as much as people want to talk about the business of professional wrestling, especially WWE in, in general, uh, we get a lot of things right. And uh, and and that night at, at WrestleMania, those two nights at WrestleMania, there were a lot of things that were right. 
I got so many text messages and videos of little girls, black boys and black girls crying, white, white kids crying, make-a-wish kids crying, just about how special that moment or that those two nights were for them. And, uh, and, and, and then also too, a lot of people, hats off, you see it on social media, hats off to you, man, for working and being professional and working with Hawk, you know, we know, you know, what you said in public and I meant everything that I wrote, uh, but at the end of the day, like I said before, um, I don't harbor any hard feelings against anybody. I think, you know, essentially that's his cross to bear. And, and, and my job is to be professional and, and make the best product possible for whatever I'm given. And, and I think we did that. You know, I had a lot of fun. We dressed up as pirates. Uh, it was very hot. Uh, so, so uh, but again, it was fun and I got a chance to do it at home and I would do it 10 times out of 10 uh, alongside Hulk Hogan, you know, if asked uh, if I had the opportunity to do it again. He is a finalist for the Muhammad Ali Sports Humanitarian <laughs> Award presented by ESPN. It'll be taking place from the rooftop at Pier 17 on July, on July 12th in New York City. The special will be airing July 24th at 2 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Titus O'Neill, this has been an honor. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for so much, sir. Congratulations on the nomination. And hopefully we hear on July 24th, Titus O'Neill is the winner and not Anthony Rizzo. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> thank, it. Thank you, Titus. A big thank you to the global ambassador of the WWE and former tag team champion, Great, Titus O'Neil. I never talked to Titus, so it was good uh, to catch up. I like the uh, you could see like in his voice of how much he loves his kids. I just think that is freaking badass. So a big shout out and a big thanks to Titus O'Neil. Really, really appreciate that. It really does mean a lot. Don't forget subscribe to the podcast. Just type Walkway to Fight Club. It's simple, guys. Just hit that subscribe button. So all you got to do subscribe. And you're all locked in. You name it, they're on here. We got Paul Heyman, Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, John Moxley, Chillers Ryan Cavanaugh, Dustin Poirier, Bill Goldberg. We can keep Drew McIntyre. Just keep going. A lot of awesome stuff coming up, guys. I am so excited for what I got for you later this week. Johnny Drip Drip. The Shaman is Sexy. John Morrison. Will be for tomorrow. We talk. About Johnny Drip Drip. We talk about being the Shaman is Sexy. What does his wife Frankie Monet prefer? We also discuss. What it would mean to win the Money in the Bank ladder match. July the 18th. From the Dickies Arena out in Fort Worth, Texas, which you can catch in the United States on Peacock and everywhere else around the world. It is on the WWE Network. In the new blood in the Money in the Bank ladder match, which except for Drew McIntyre, but that's a that's a whole other conversation that we'll get into another day. But at least some of the new there's mostly new blood. Well, Drew McIntyre, I don't think he's ever been in a Money in the Bank ladder match. So there, you could say there that is new blood if you want to go that far. But we got John Morrison. And then to end the week, always one of my personal favorites, the Enforcer, Double A. 
Aaron Anderson is back in my life. We talk. Arn, Aaron Anderson says I look like Chris Jericho. We're gonna. He's gonna explain that one, which I'm still kind of confused about. We talk about his son being in AEW. Who had the better first match, him or his son? We just like scratched the surface on so many different things. We talk about some his the new format with the podcast and a whole lot more. It was it was so great to catch up with Double A, the enforcer, the coach for the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes. We talk kids, we talk cards, and a whole lot more. So it's good to talk to Double A next week. We got the former Wesley Blake in WWE. Oh, God, what is his name? I'm, like, I'm, like, I wanted to, like, give him such a a shout-out here. Not Wesley Riddle. I'm losing my mind right now. Let's see. Wesley Blake. Yes. Talk to Wesley Blake. Talk about his release from WWE. If he blames Jackson Riker for the release, I do. Kind of got the shaft on that one. And what he expects in the land of the independence. Pretty good revealing interview. So that was a ton of fun. We got a lot of other cool stuff coming up that is in the pipeline. We got one that I'm really debating whether to put it on as I had the conversation last week. And I'm, I'm still kind of tossing it back and forth in my mind to see how that will go. But we will. I'm still deciding that one. But hoping to get a couple other ones. There's another one we got. You got Chuck Palumbo coming up as well. Some good stuff with Chuck. And also the 25-year anniversary of the NWO. So we will get into that. Some very interesting stuff I want to get into that. And I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the into the Rolodex here and see what we can do in terms of that anniversary coming up on July the 7th. But don't forget, subscribe to the podcast. Simple, guys. Just hit that subscribe button. Walkway to Fight Club. Thank you guys so much for listening. I We will have the interview with John Morrison for tomorrow. This is Stephen Mielhausen. I'll talk to you guys later. Mwah. Peace. I'm out of here.